Hello, this is Mike Van Meter. Welcome to Re the Recovery is Possible podcast. I want to thank you for bring joining me. And you can reach us at our Facebook site, which is also called Recovery is Possible, and our website, which is vanmeterwellnesssolutions.com. This podcast exists to educate the public about addiction, remove the stigma associated with addiction, and offer help and support to those suffering from addiction. And today, I have a special guest for you, and that's uh, Jim M. And Jim and I go back... Oh my goodness! Uh, I don't know how many years now I've known you. I've, I've certainly known you as long as I've been in, in recovery. And Jim has been a great uh, inspiration to me, and just just a source of knowledge, as you'll see here. Uh, you know, Jim is the kind of guy that when you go to a twelve step meeting, he's got all the one liners, he's got all the quips, he can <laughs> quote all the pages. He knows he's like the that guy in the room that you look to that if you got a question jim's probably got about 50 answers and he's just he really is just a walking um encyclopedia of of recovery and, and he's been fantastic and uh while i was down teaching you know many of you know i've talked about in the podcast before i taught at the fbi academy uh about addiction and uh jim actually was a uh, guest speaker down there on a number of occasions so he's been a great friend and um you know, just a, a confidant. He's been somebody that I've been able to rely on, and and that's what you need in recovery. You do need to have people that that you can talk to and, and rely on and and share things with. And so, with that, uh, Jim is a Vietnam vet. Jim is also a former police officer. Actually, was in the same department I was in. Only Jim was there earlier, and um and he's also the survivor of uh. uh sexual abuse and he's going to be talking about that as as well and so with that jim thank you for joining us today michael thank you for having me uh, my name is jim and uh my sobriety date is may 16th 1979 and again thank you michael for this opportunity to share a little bit about uh what happened to me uh and what it's like now i just again if anybody's listening to this and and you're thinking about recovery and you really want to give it a try, um, you have nothing else to lose. Uh, trust me. My last drink was May 16th, 1979. And prior to that, I was 31 years old. Uh, I was on the police department in DC. I was uh, working as a child abuse investigator uh, for about seven years. And I transferred back into uniform. And that was the beginning of my bottom. Uh, I drank for a total of seven and a half years. I didn't drink or use drugs in Vietnam. I never got into drugs. Alcohol was my drug of choice and it did everything it was supposed to do. It got, it, I had fun. And then it, the way I describe it is alcohol did for me and then it started to do to me. If anybody can relate to that, uh, I experienced the blackouts. I also have a strong genetic uh, predisposition in my family. Every male in my family uh, was an alcoholic, and my father died of alcoholism. And I believe that my great that my grandfather uh, died of this disease also. And um, you know, there's a joke in a in, in twelve step recovery rooms that say, "Well, we can take the Irish Catholics out of recovery meetings and have meetings in a phone booth." And I, I love that. I just I think that's the greatest thing in the world. But I'm not going to bash the church. I'm not doing any of that. It's just it's just my opinion, and what has what has allowed me to live this wonderful life of gratitude. And I'm just, I am blessed beyond my wildest dream. My last drink, again, like I said, I was suicidal. I had called in saying uh, within an eight hour period, uh, sick in the same tour of duty. The third time I called in sick, three sergeants had to come down and uh, break in my, my, I was thrown out of my house. My wife had thrown me out. Uh, 
And what happened was uh, they had to break the door in to get me. I had, um, I drank about a half a gallon of vodka and nothing happened. I couldn't get drunk. I couldn't get sober and I couldn't stop drinking. And for me, that was the beginning of what I referred to and what I've heard other people refer to as the gift of desperation. They put me in the back of a police car that I was driving three nights before. Um, They didn't know what to do with me. They took me to the VA hospital. They didn't have any beds. I was decorated in Vietnam. They didn't have any beds. Uh, They took me to Washington Hospital Center, which was like the big hospital in DC. No beds there. And they took me to Providence Hospital, 12th and Barnum Street, Northeast. And I was admitted and my BAC was 0.38. I was 260 pounds and I was 31 years old. And the nurse came down, they took me up to, to the detox room. And I, I, I had DTs. I knew what DTs were, but DTs only happened to alcoholics that were on the street, standing in front of the burn barrel, drinking Mad Dog 2020, the only wine the grape has never touched. That was my idea of an alcoholic. But in withdrawal, I experienced DTs. I was a helicopter landed on my windowsill in detox. And the nurse gave me this, this uh, button that you push. And I pushed it and I said to her, I said, there's a helicopter just landed on my window. So she said, okay, wait, wait, wait here, sir. I'm going to, so she came in with the doc. Now keep in mind that when you're in detox and in withdrawal, the needle was six feet long and it had a, it had an opening like a muffler. And um, I later found that it was dilantin for seizures and Librium to calm me down. Uh, I came to about, I guess two or three days later uh, and the DTs were gone, the shakes were gone. And I haven't had them since because I haven't found necessary to take a drink of alcohol. They told me after I stayed in there 23 days, I got, I got discharged. I, they, this is the first time in my life. I think that I ever followed any directions. And in the beginning, they told me that there are two people, two classes of people and two occupations that are hard to get sober and stay sober doctors and cops. I thought, Hmm, who do you call when you're in trouble? Doctor or a cop? I can tell you that's the absolute truth, too, by the way. (laughs) Sure. Made sense to me. And they told me, and and trust me, I still had the gift of desperation, even though I was on the pink cloud for a while. I went went to 12-step meetings. I got a home group. I got a sponsor, what they suggested. And I got, (laughs) you'll love this, I got sober in my home group in the scout car beat that I worked when I worked in uniform. Mm-hmm. I remember my first, I remember my first meeting, my, my first 12 step meeting, I walk in and I locked up three of the guys sitting on the wall for drinking in public. And I looked at, <laughs> I looked at one guy, he looked at me as if to say, Hey, we've been waiting for you. And <laughs> funny now, they wasn't funny then. No. So I sit down by this time I've gotten a sponsor and I've asked the man to be my sponsor and I'm sitting next to him and in walks the Bishop of Washington. And I'm thinking to myself, man, this guy's got the ring and the collar. And I thought, wow. So I said, I leaned over to my sponsor. I said, hey, John, what do you think these people think of me? He said, none of your goddamn business. Excuse me for the profanity, but that that was the word. And I said to myself, really? I guess I'm not that important. And he said, yeah, he said, what do you think he was none of your business? But but that man, the man that I locked up became a wonderful friend. Actually, he spoke at my 10th anniversary. And I, I just, you know. In chapter two in the book of Alcoholics Anonymous, they talk about we are people who non- normally would not mix. Boy, isn't that the truth? Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Oh, I got, I got a service position. I made coffee. You know, for the first time in my life, I thought, I don't have to drink today. And I was free. I was alcohol free. 
And um, that was, oh, I guess I was about a year sober. I went to meetings and I just, I, I, I got it. The way they explained to me the 12 step, the 12 step recovery program was, now, I don't want to get too cosmic here with some people, but they said, it's like breakfast. I said, what do you mean like breakfast? They said, it's like ham and eggs. The pigs commit it and the chicken's involved. And I thought, <laughs> are you kidding me? So and, and the old timer said to me, are you committed or involved? Because some of these guys were WW2 vets, Korean War vets. And, you know, here I am, you know, I'm 31 years old. I'm thinking, what are these old timers going to tell me? And we, we got to talking about combat and things like that. And it's just, I mean, I felt at home. But I, I never talked about my sex abuse until I was about, I guess I was over 10 years sober. And uh, it started to come back to me, the, the, the night sweats. And the, and by this time, I had sponsored a Roman Catholic priest. And uh, he'd never gotten sober. He died drunk. Uh, I, I believe that he had the secret too. I think he was a pedophile, but it never came up and it wasn't necessary. Um and then, yeah, I began, at this time, the church began that problem. The Philadelphia, I'm from Philly, so, so the Philadelphia Grand Jury started, and they were having people come up, and I happened to see it in the paper. So I called my sponsor. I said, hey, John, he knew I was a sex abuse survivor. It's the first man I ever shared it with. I kept that secret for 30 years. I sat on I would never tell anyone except my first sponsor, John, John P., who's been dead. He's been dead about 10 years. I had him for over 32 years as my sponsor. And... Um, I said, I, I think I'd like to ride up to Philly and just go before a grand jury and clear up, clear this up, clear this secret up. And I did. And he said to me, he said, Jimmy, he said, look, when you go before the grand jury, you're not there to impress or depress. You're there to express. And I love that, that one. Sense. So when I went in, so I went up before the grand jury and here I was, you know, by this time I had retired from the, from the police department and, um, I'm, I'm talking to the cops, Philly had DA investigators. I'm talking to the cops. One of the cops I went to high school with. Now, is that odd or God? Right. So I'm sitting there. He said, he said it was, he, he gave the priest name. And I said, yeah, he told me the nickname. He said, they used to call him happy Harry. I said, are you kidding me? So I'm before the God or God, I'm telling you. So I go before the grand jury. No, I no, I went to the bathroom and I, I said the serenity prayer. I'm sitting on the toilet. I'm saying, please, God, don't let me get in there and lie. And my sponsor said to me, Jim, don't cash the check yet. And I went up there. I, did, I said, look, when I told the truth, this is what happened to me. And I looked up and I, and I listen, I've been before 100 panels of grand jury on my police career. But I've never went up there as a witness. I always went up you know, to testify. And I was scared. I was nervous because I'm talking about me and I'm talking about the secret that I had for 30 years. And I will tell you that when I left there, I said a prayer and I said, thank you, God, you, you give me the strength to do this. And I'm not a religious man by any stretch of the imagination. So I get in my car and I look up at William Penn in Philadelphia. I left the grain. I look up at William Penn and I said, thank you. I am done. The secret is out. And believe me, Michael, I was so free. Not only from alcohol, but the program had given me the strength to go up there and talk about me and to tell tell my story. And I I, I was amazed, and I was I, for, I, I was free. That's amazing. I home, and I, I, Michael, I got to tell you, it was like I was reborn, and and I, I came back and I shared it from the podium uh, at a meeting, and I can't tell you how many people came up to me afterward and said, you know, can you talk to me? We, 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 and I, and I said, I said, my book, my life is an open book. Here's what happened. And here's what you might want to do. But I, I had to get help. And uh, the churches continue to pay for everything. 
And that was 10 years sober. And then what happened was I found out that my daughter was sexually abused by my ex-wife's husband's son. Oh, no. And that was the, that was the toughest, toughest time in recovery. I didn't drink. I didn't drug. I got her help. And I owe that to, I owe that to, to, to my recovery because I, I knew what not to do. I knew not to go over and beat the shit out. Excuse me. Beat the, excuse me. Beat the crap out of it. <laughs> I, knew, I knew that. And I, I knew that I could go to jail sober too. So I talked about it and um, I just, you know, again, each day I, I got freer and freer. And then I, be, then I went up to Pennsylvania to talk about, to tell the, the Senate and the Congress up in, up in Harrisburg my story. And again, helping people and just, you know, that was me because I'm free. My life is an open book. I am free today. And, you know, people say, well, how come you, how come you still go to, to, to 12-step recovery meetings? And you know what I tell them? The big book doesn't have pictures. And, and, you know, I mean, it's a snarky answer, but, you know, you got you, you, you to you, you get a sponsor. You can't do this alone. I'll share a story with you. My sponsor, over 32 years, died. He had a dementia. And God, I, I love the man. I missed him dearly. So I was six months without a sponsor. And I'm in, in, sitting here one night thinking, man, yeah, you know, I've got so many sponsees. I've worked this. I've worked that. I've got service. I've done this. I've done that. And, you know, the first word and the first step is we. And I came up, there, there was a problem with, with some financial stuff. And I thought, you know, I, I, I better ask a man to be my sponsor. And I called a guy, Jim, he, he said, Jim, I'd love to. And I said, thank you, Mike, I, we can do this. And, you know, it was like I was a newcomer and I needed that at that time. And I was over 20 years sober and got remarried to a woman, uh, not an AA, but works in the mental health field, just a wonderful support. Uh, I've got four grandchildren that have never seen me drink. My daughter was five when I got sober. She's now 46 and a nurse. Uh, Michael, I, if you're new and you're listening to me, give this thing a chance. If you're struggling, if you think you drink too much, you probably do. If you have blackouts like me or brownouts or grayouts, we have a period of time you can't remember. And I know that this, that this isolation quarantine stuff has got to be murder on people that are drinking. It's got to be because I know myself. I know where I would be and what condition I would be in. You know, just reach out, you know. And, and, and again, what I've what other people think of me is none of my business. You know, and I, I've learned that. And I'm okay with that today because I'm not the big I am. You know, I should have been dead at 34, what the doctor told me. He said, Mr. He said, Mr. M, you keep drinking, you'll be dead at you'll be dead at 34. My liver was hanging over my belt. I thought, mm -hmm. he said, you're an, you're an alcoholic. I thought, whoa, 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 let's not get carried away here. You know, I'm not, a, I'm not a fifth and K around the burn barrel drinking mad dog. Come on. And then I, I've come to accept and understand that I, that I am truly, I'm truly an alcoholic. I have what they call, what the, what the medical craving. I cannot stop after one. The cap was off. I was drinking. And people say, well, what did you drink? I first said, well, what did you drink? I said, I drank anything that was too thin to chew. And he's, well, how, how often? Yeah, here we go. Here's another yeah. one. Well, how, how, how often did you drink? Okay, any day that ended in Y. How's that? <laughs> I love that one. Yeah, yeah, but I didn't. But I didn't. I mean, that, that that's the joke and the fun, and you know, and, and I joke around in AA, and it's it, in, in the program. It's serious, but you know, I have the I have the gift of desperation. I have it today, and I'm grateful. I am truly grateful for the things I don't have, and the things I have. And, and, you know, the secret, the secret of, of the abuse, I mean, I, 
Michael, I can't tell you how long I walked around with that. Oh, if they only knew. Then I went back to school and that feeling came. And then I, I ran the drug program in Fairfax County Schools for about eight years working with kids. And, and I had worked in youth division 13 years on the police department. And the, the honesty of the kids. And I would see kids come to, that, come, come to that seminar, 13 years old, that needed medical detox. 13. And I'm thinking, God, you know, if I could only give you the message. You know, and, and I, I just present the message. I present it uh, as honest, open as I can. If you want it, fine. If not, then you know, they'll gladly refund your misery. And, and thank, Michael, thank you again for asking me because, you know, last week there was a very dear friend of mine who I had tried to help years ago. They found him dead in his apartment, retired in Myrtle Beach, drank himself to death. And, you know, this disease kills. And, you know, the old Irish joke is my, I'm from an Irish Catholic family in Philly, right? So my grandmother would go down to the funeral home and Mr. Brown, oh, she'd come back. She had a thick brogue and she'd say, oh my God, he looks so good. Johnny looks so good. And Mrs. Brown would say to him, you know, he drank a little too much of the pison. And the old joke would be, well, did he go to AA? She said, no, he wasn't that bad. You know, I mean, how bad is that bad? Have you had enough? I didn't quit. I surrendered, and 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 I, just, I I'm surrendering today, and I, I just hope that if you're if you're listening out there to Michael's uh, podcast, and you're sick and tired of being sick and tired, and you'll quit tomorrow, and the same thing has gone over and over again, give it a try. What do you got to lose? What do you got to? You have a lot more to gain, and I can tell you that my my life today is so enriched, and, and, and you know I'm not a salesman for twelve step recovery. Trust me, trust me, and I'm not a saint by any stretch of imagination. I just love, I love life. Michael, and again, I, I just want to thank you um, for the opportunity. Uh, I, I just wanted to share and keep it green to some people out there that might be, you know, struggling with this, some family members. There, there, there's, you know, Al-Anon for family members. If you think, you know, if, if you think your spouse is drinking too much, he probably, and she probably is. You know, is it Dr. Jekyll or Mr. Hyde? You know, who, who, who's home tonight after the cap comes off? That was that was the, the thing with me. My ex-wife used to say, you're okay until you drink. Yeah. But my, de- my denial, I had, I had industrial strength denial. And, um, you know, the acronym for denial is don't even notice I am lying. You know, <laughs> oh, I uh, love that. I've not heard that one before. Nah, well, I got a, I got a few, Mike. I can, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. God, I love it. I, I, I love. I, let me. I love sobriety. I love recovery. I love laughing. I love life. Even though with all the craziness going out there in the world today, I am participating in my own recovery, and it's what I make it. And by the way, uh, Jim, you know, yeah. we're, we're talking about it, you know, for you and I, you, you and I both uh, share the uh, alcohol demon, but um, I want to emphasize that it, it may not be, you know, the, anybody that's listening here to this podcast, your issue may not actually be drinking. It may be drugs. It may be gambling, maybe pornography, porn, maybe, maybe eating, maybe porn, um, maybe drugs, uh, exercise, yeah. food, you know, anything, anything that what they call obsessive compulsive, you know, or, or, you know, it, it, yeah. And I've known people, you know, hooked on uh, exercise. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I had people, Michael, that would exercise in the closet so their spouse wouldn't see them. Wow. You, you don't think, yeah. you don't think that's unmanageable, do you? You know, I think what it comes down to, Jim, I, you know, when, when we talk about, uh, and you were telling the story about how, you know, you have a loved one looking at their uh, spouse or family member in the casket, and they know damn well that 
they died from drinking and they talk about how yeah. good they, they look yeah. and they say, well, you know, his drinking wasn't that bad. I, I, I've told this story before, Jim, and, and, and I'll get your, your thoughts on this as well, that uh, when I worked uh, as an EAP, an employee assistance program, a peer counselor mm-hmm. in the FBI, mm-hmm. I would have people mm-hmm. sent to me because I was, you know, I was the alcohol guy. So they would send people to me, me and, um, yeah. and people would say, yeah. And I, I know you did the same type of work and, and I would have, and I, and I think that I, I learned a lot of this from you, actually, Jim, in, in my approach. I used to like lecture people a lot, and I'm, <laughs> I'm sure I still do a lot of that. But I, I learned the questioning approach to people. And they would come into my office. They'd be sent to me, and they'd say, hey, Mike, um, you know, my wife says I have a drinking problem. Or my, a, lot of times they were, <laughs> a lot of times they were mandated, like the, their supervisor sent them to me. And they would say, hey, you know, my supervisor over here has – uh, says that I drink too much. What do you think? And and this is how I would approach it, Jim. And I got a lot of this from you. I I wouldn't say, yes, I hey, you know, I I smell alcohol when you when you came in the office. I mean, I, I wouldn't even approach that. The way I would I would approach it is this. And this might be a good way for any listeners out there right now. I want you to think about this. I want you to ask yourself a question: Do normal social drinkers do do people that do not have a drinking problem? even have these conversations with people. Exactly. If you are a normal social drinker, you know, if you're that person that had one glass of wine last year on Christmas Eve and in June your wife sits you down and says, "Hey, I need to talk to you about that one glass of wine you had last year." You know? Mm-hmm. Now, that mm-hmm. tip that I'm thinking that doesn't happen very often. If you have gotten to the point to where your wife, your husband, your significant other, or your boss or a coworker mm-hmm. has questioned your drinking, fact is they've probably been wanting to question you about your drinking for quite <laughs> a while, and it took them a while to get to that point. And so what I would ask these people when they would come into my office was, do normal social drinkers even have that conversation. I'm just asking questions here. And and you have to think about that, that, that if, if it's questioning, and, or if you, if you yourself say, I wonder if I'm drinking too much, because I used to have that conversation with myself. Sure. Ask yourself sure. this, do normal social drinkers ask themselves that, that question? Do you, do you agree with that sentiment, Jim? Here's another one that used to kill me too. Have you ever heard a social drinker tell you they stopped drinking? Or gone on the wagon, or gone on the wagon. Yeah. I, I've never, I've never heard a social, I, I've never heard a social drinker tell me they stopped drinking, or they've switched brands. Never, I've, I've never heard, I've never heard anyone say that to me. Or, right. and they say, uh, how many times have you quit drinking? Oh man, I, I quit so many. Oh my god, a thousand times. Oh okay. Have you ever heard a social drinker quit a thousand times? Mm-hmm. Why no? Uh, have you, have you ever heard a social drinker forget to drink? No, no, uh, no, and 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 it's true. And I and I would have people, and I and I love these people, and I, I know you've run into them as well. Um, you know, I, I go to um, a twelve-step meeting, and I say twelve-step meetings because I, I realize there's a lot. Hey, I, we I talk about AA on this this podcast, but there's a lot of other programs out there. So, um, I'm including all the groups out there. I'm sure we all have this experience. You know, somebody come in. And uh, when they come into the meeting, they 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 say, "Hey, I'm just here to see, uh, to to I, 
Yeah, listen and see how um, you know. I, I want to hear what you people have to say. You know, and you, you sit and you laugh because you're like, wait a minute. You know, you do, you just came to the same meeting I did. What do you mean, you people? <laughs> You've heard that before, Jim, right, Jim? You know what I used to say, Mike? I I'd go to a meeting in, in the basement of of a Protestant church, and I'd I'd say, well, if you're Catholic, don't worry about it because we're all here for the same reason. And if you see a neighbor here, welcome them. Oh, yeah. I, you know, yeah. you, you, well, well, oh my God, well, what are they going to think? They see me in an AA meeting. You get drunk and see what happens. <laughs> I, don't well, want my neighbors, I don't want my neighbors to find out. Uh, Harry, they probably already know. The well, car in the and, middle of the street. Jim, let me tell you, let me share with you this story. I'll, I'll tell you the first time, the first time I, I had been to meetings where I recognized people that I'd seen before, but I didn't, I didn't know them, right? I didn't actually know them. Um, but I went to, there was a meeting once that I went to, and this was early on. I, it was in the first year, I would say, of recovery. And um, I walk in, and it was, it, was, it was like on a federal holiday. At the time, I was working for the federal government, so it's a federal holiday. And it's like in the middle of the week, um, or a weekday, I should say. And I go into this church, and it's, and it's just packed full of people. And I'd never been to this church before. And I look across, you know, it's one of those things we're all sitting in a big circle. And I, and I look across, mm-hmm. and I see it. I see a woman. That I know, and and by by no, I'm like I work with this person, and mm-hmm. I and that was that again. This was early on, and I about I was like, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? You know, I that typical early recovery embarrassment, and not uh, your stomach, right? And I but there were a lot of people in the meeting, and I thought, well, maybe she doesn't see me. I just won't make eye. You know, it's like if I don't make eye contact, she doesn't see me. We well, you know that kind of situation. So at, at halftime. And for those of you who don't know what that is, a lot of meetings, about 30 minutes in, hour-long meeting, um, you'll take a little bit of a break and you can get up. And at this particular meeting, they had coffee and donuts, cookies, things like that. So I go to the kitchen. It's in a church. And I and I go over to get a cup of coffee and I feel this tap on my shoulder and I turn around <laughs> and it's her. <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh, my gosh. Oh, and, and, busted. But here, here's what she says, okay? I, I, and I want you guys to think about this because it goes in line with what Jim is saying. This woman says to me, um, hey, Mike, um, listen, one of the things um, that is important here in this particular group is we have this thing known as the spiritual um, tradition of anonymity, meaning, mm-hmm. you know, you listen, you, you can't go talk about the fact that you saw me here at this meeting. So she's saying this to me. And at that point, I was looking at her and I got a bit offended because I'm thinking, wait a minute. Okay, so you, let me get this straight, you're afraid that I'm going to go to work and tell people that I saw you at this meeting. And I, and then I finally said that to her when she was done talking to me. I said, is that your concern? She said, yes. You know, um, you really should not, you, you can't go to work and talk about the fact that you saw me here. And, and again, I, I was a bit offended. And then I looked, I had enough, re- it was early recovery, but I had enough recovery behind me to know the traditions and know how this whole recovery thing worked. And I looked at her and I said, let me, let me, again, I'm, I'm back to the questioning part. I said, let me ask you a question. Do, do you think that here on this federal holiday, I was like going to the Walmart and instead of taking a right, I took a left, and by accident, I ended up at this church in this meeting with you. Do, do you think it was some sort of an accident? And I just sat here for the last 30 minutes knowing that I'm in you know, some sort of a, a meeting, and really, I was looking for the gardening department at Walmart. Do, do you think that's what happened here? And she looked at me, and she's like, no. And I said, then maybe you and I are here for the same reason. And, and furthermore, um, if I was to go to work tomorrow – 
and go around the office and say, hey, guess who I saw at an AA meeting? Don't you think the first question out of their mouth would be, oh, but what were you doing there at the meeting? I mean, just think that through for a mm-hmm. minute. And mm-hmm. and then she looked at me, you know, and she goes, okay, I see your point. I said, D- now, do you hear how ridiculous what you're saying is? Lady, I'm here, and it, and it goes to your point, Jim. We're all here for the same reason. And I thank Absolutely. God that you're here. I'm happy that you're here. And and I'm it, it just I, I, I'm just so happy that you're getting well, because if your life was as crappy as mine was at the end, and you're getting better the way I'm getting better, I'm happy for you. And I am the last person you need to worry about. And oh, by the way, there's nothing to worry about, because the best thing I ever, ever did in my life was get into recovery. Okay? That's the best thing. And I would want everyone, this is nothing to be ashamed of, nothing at all. And if you're out there listening right now, you look at this as something that to be ashamed of. And what I'm saying to you is that, that if you make the decision to get recovery and make that commitment that Jim is, to, and I don't mean just participate, but commit to recovery and get well, then that will be, I don't care who you are, how much money you've made, what kind of, you could be an Olympic gold medal athlete. It doesn't matter. You trust me. This is the best decision and the greatest accomplishment you've ever made in your life. You can trust me on that one. And uh, so I thought that that was just kind of an interesting exchange. And I've never worried, I, I, Jim, I can tell you, I have honestly not w- even thought about running into somebody that I know, because today I don't care. I just I'm, know I'm that like, my life Michael, is so I'm much like better. You. Yeah, I shake hands. I, you know, I have seen people, I've been to meetings almost all over the world, and I sat in meetings with people that you would never, ever think that are truly, truly anonymous, and I respect their anonymity, and we've talked, and it's like, we have the, you know, when 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 the co-founders of, of AA started, they talked about when two alcoholics meet and share, it's the language of the heart. I have mm-hmm. experienced that. I have experienced that in the street, in the shopping center. There's eye contact. We have we have a language. We have a language of the heart. When I, when I I've, I've been out in places getting getting you know getting changed, but and they, they see my recovery chip. Oh, you're a friend of Bill W. It starts. That's all it takes. Mm-hmm. And the That's doors right. open. That's right. And Absolutely. I have I have had that happen so many times, Mike. It, it's unbelievable. Well, how much time and where do you go? And yada yada yada. I mean, it's like it's like it's like we, we've met you know ten ten years before and we're continuing the same conversation. Mm-hmm. That is what I love. Chapter two. We are people who normally would not mix. Yeah, yeah. And I tell you what, uh, Jim, that's what I love about you is that you you clearly have read this stuff and committed yourself so much to this program that you know that where the page numbers, the chapters. Um, early I on, I, I don't do this as much as I used to, um, although um, I'm going to get back into the habit of this. I used to take a notebook with me and I would I realized I early on. I remember. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, yeah I remember. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you remember me with my notebook, and I, I have those notebooks because <laughs> because I used to have people ask me why I had a notebook, and I'll tell you why, and I'll tell you why I had a notebook because I would hear things in meetings, and I learned early on that I was hearing tremendous wisdom from people, sometimes homeless people, some you know just oh yeah you know uh, I, I mean things that you can't pay you can't go to Harvard and hear some of the wisdom that uh, these people were putting out, and I thought you know what. This is so good. I need to write that state. And a lot of it was just one-liners. It would just be like a one-line quip. Yep. And I and, and I didn't want to forget it. Yeah. And and, and, and some of those were golden. 
And and you touched on something earlier, Jim. You just reminded me of this. You know, you you talked about how you were in. You know, you got to twenty years, and your your sponsor had died, and and then you went back and got another sponsor and treated it like you were brand new. Um, one of the things that um, I have noticed in my own journey is that where you get to my point, and I'm certainly the you know I'm sure the point that you're at now as well too is kind of maintaining that excitement because when you get into that first year you know you pick up your first 30-day chip your first one-year chip and you know and it's exciting because it's all new everything's new well as the years progress it's really hard to maintain that momentum of excitement and i kind of feel like that's where i'm not at now and i've i've thought about it as particularly as we get into a new year with it being 20 we're in you know today's january 9th of 2021 so we're in that new year and and I think that one of my goals for this year is to go back and almost treat this like it was year one and go back and reread the material and and renew the commitment and the number of meetings and, and all the things I did in that first year just to kind of rekindle the excitement. Um, yes. You know, because I really like, you know, 20 years to go back and actually treat it like it was year one, I think takes a lot of courage to do. I had to, yeah, that, I had to, um, like, re- re- recommit myself because, you know, you, you get past a certain time and you say, well, I got this and that, and that, and that's what the old timers would caution you about. You know, you're going to get, you know, you're, there, there's going to come a time when you're going to say, do I need to go to all these meetings? Do I need, you know, and usually anybody that I've ever heard that have drank after a period of recovery, stop one of the meetings, stop, you know, reaching out, stop making the contacts. And then all of a sudden, you know, maybe I really wasn't that bad. Yeah. And that's yeah. what happens. I've, I've seen that. I, I, I have seen that. That's how a relapse start. It doesn't, it, people don't just, you don't just drive down the highway and go, oh, look, a 7-Eleven and your car makes a decision on its own to pull into the, the parking lot of a 7-Eleven and you go in and get a beer. That's that's not how it works. The, the relapse yeah. actually starts early Long with before. that seed and that plant and yep. you know maybe i don't need to go a meeting tonight maybe i don't need to reach out maybe i don't need to call my sponsor and and, yep. and then it just happens more and more and more often and then you kind of get to the point to where you're not doing anything and it, but well, it's I'll a process that happens too i'll tell you another thing that happens too michael that i've seen is they, you know they start drinking a non-alcoholic beer well you know the old timers told me non-alcoholic <laughs> beers for non-alcoholics yeah or they start with the, the robitussin the nyquil you know i have a gorilla inside of me my body doesn't know if it's sniffing, smoking, chewing, snorting, or sipping. It likes that feeling, man, to say, oh, wow, I like, I like this. That's me. I have craving. So yeah. for me, it's total, it's total abstinence. Yep. Oh, I absolutely agree with that a whole wholeheartedly. And that was something I heard early on. You know, hey, you know, you can get wine that doesn't have alcohol in it. Oh, they have, <laughs> they have non-alcoholic beer. They have all these different things. <laughs> I love that one. You know, and I don't, I, I don't know about you. But uh, and people will say to you, well, why why can't you have that? Why can't you have that? Well, Mike's philosophy, and it's just my philosophy, is this: that you got to remember, your mind is it. You know, alcoholism or addiction in general, it's a it's a disease of the mind and the body. Now, listen to mm-hmm. that: mind mm-hmm. and the body. It's both. It's both. So what happens is it's the disease that tells you you don't have it, and your mind can right. get little triggers 
then if you go and you give in to that, like for example, let's, you, let's say you go out and you drink a, li- a little bit of alcohol, we know that genetic, you, you, Jim, you talked about a genetic predisposition. You oh, drink yeah. alcohol and then it starts this cycle that, listen to me closely, non-alcoholics don't have that genetic predisposition. They don't have the same, if, alcohol does not have the same effect on them that it does on you. And you start this cascading effect physiologically in your body that then goes and creates a craving in your mind, again, that non-alcoholics don't have, and it's the cycle, and then your body becomes dependent on it. So your mind tells you it's okay, your mind says it, it's good, and then your body uh, and mind start working together and work against you. So the way that you do it is to just get it. That's why complete abstinence is, is what you have to do. Now, when you drink non-alcoholic beer, or you drink non-alcoholic wine, what happens mm-hmm. is it then, re- remember, you, you've created this neurologic pathway where your bo- your brain likes this. And so when I drink something that, that tastes like beer or, al- or, or wine, and my brain says, oh, I remember that, and I remember liking that, and then you think, okay, well, that's good. But then your body then we'll start craving the alcohol and it, and it goes back and forth. And it, and, but it started with that trigger in the brain. That's where it sent it. All of our relapses start in the brain. And so yeah. the best thing to do is just why play with it? Why, there's a lot of things you can drink out there, a lot of stuff. Why do you have to play with fire? Again, don't do it. So I tell people, and I know you do as well, Jim, stay the hell away from it. There's a lot of things in that cooler that you can drink. You don't need alcohol, non-alcohol. What that means is you are still not thoroughly convinced that you are an alcoholic. Because I know this, that my journey got so bad, there's no way I would even go near that demon, near it. And I think that when you go to non-alcoholic beer, you're starting to play with that demon again. And that's a really bad thing to do. That means, means, you know, people say, well, you know, the, the analogy that I use is anybody that's ever stopped smoking for a period of time and go back to smoking cigarettes, within a day or two, they're right back to two packs or whatever they were smoking. Yeah. It's the same thing with alcohol, alcoholism for me anyway. And then you'll, you'll find the people will maybe start eating the Valium or Librium or something like that. And, you know, it's the same track team, different color sneakers. There's no smell. Uh, the same thing happens, only, you know, you're loaded. And what will happen, that eventually lead back to alcohol. That's what I That's right. Been, uh, yeah. professionally. And, and like you, you said, it's alcoholism. And by the way, I think I heard this from you once before. It's alcoholism, alcohol not wasm. Alcoholism. <laughs> <laughs> it's a current thing. Yeah. Hey, Jim, any any last words of uh, wisdom you want to um, leave uh, listeners you know, with before we go? What I'd like to say to anyone's listening, if, if you're thinking about it, if you're, you know, Maybe you want to give it a try. You know, give it, give it, give yourself thirty days without drinking, or if if, if it's drugs, you know, pl- please don't don't stop drugs without checking with your doctor. And you know, get honest with your doc. You know, the doc always asked me when I was on the police department, oh, "How many drinks do you have?" Well, doc, two drinks, and he never asked me what size. You know, so you know, give, give it a uh, give it an honest give it an honest. It's like cheating solitaire. Who knows? You know, and that's what I equate this disease. To. I only had, well, how about two drinks? That's all. It's not like that. Just be honest with yourself. You know, look in the mirror and say, maybe I do have a drinking problem. Ask the people around you. Ask your family members if they're sitting there. Do you think I yeah. drink too much? And when the eyes roll back and the wife almost faints or the husband says, uh, well, <coughs> I got to clear his throat, uh, probably a good chance you do. 
Yeah. Well, that's fantastic. And Jim, thank you so much for joining Mike, us today. Thank you really so appreciate well. it. Mike, thank you. Thank you so much. Already. Bye-bye. Wow. Um, so as we always like to say, you know, we don't represent any group here. We've been talking about um, different groups, but we don't represent any groups. So, uh, you know, our only purpose in giving this information is to share with you what we've done and because it's helped us and maybe it's going to help you too. So, if uh, myself or Jim have said anything that you do not uh, agree with or it doesn't apply to you, then just go ahead and discard it, but try to take something from us today that may be uh, helpful to you. So that's what we do in recovery. We try to help ourselves along the way, and we help to impart that knowledge or the knowledge that we've gained onto others as well. So with that, please, again, visit our Facebook page, Recovery is Possible, and our website, which is vanmeterwellnesssolutions.com, vanmeterwellnesssolutions.com. Let me know how I'm doing. Let me know how if, if there's a topic that you'd like to talk about or if you're interested in. I'd love to hear from you. Take care, and we will see you next time. And Jim, thanks for joining the show today. So with that, take care, guys. See you next time.